and welcome back to By the Fire podcast, where I, Ken, your host, take you through mythical tales and creatures from across the Black Diaspora. Today I'll be talking about his house, and I am so lucky that I'm having my friend as a guest, Temi. I've known her for so long, and together we'll be talking about the social commentary behind the film, which was directed and written by Remy Weeks. We'll be discussing the overall plot and the characters in the film, as well as the main antagonist of the film, the Apeth, which is a night witch, according to the Dinka culture of South Sudan. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I have Temi with me. She has been my friend for how long now? I'm 22. Oh so I've known you for 11 years. Jeez, we're and old. <laughs> I've known you since year seven, since, that, since we were yep. 11. And, yep, yep. you know, we were together in, pri- in primary, in secondary school from mm. year seven to year 11. And then I left to another mm. sixth form. And then you joined, I know. And then you joined me again in in our pharmacy school i so, still remember that, that first day i saw you i just we just bumped each other in the corridor and i was just like wait <laughs> what's happening i know no, that was that was insane no, that was so nice and yeah like just since then we've been able to like rekindle our friendship and mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. we're talking about his house and his house is a netflix film directed by remy weeks who is a british um director and who also wrote the film and it came out this year and it's exclusive to Netflix so we're going Mm -hmm. to be talking about that today and just a quick summary from IMDB and it's about a refugee couple who makes a harrowing escape from war-torn South Sudan but then they struggle to adjust to their new life in an English town that has an evil lurking beneath the surface. Yeah I think with this you don't really get a complete idea as to what they could be facing but you can mm. tell it's ominous which just makes for a perfect horror slash thriller film right yeah exactly you're right because even the evil lurking beneath the surface mm. that could be anything you know it's like mm-hmm. i guess you would assume that it was about the house because it's his house but yeah it is, <laughs> it is very vague let me ask you timmy how did you find the film in general so it's not what I expected. I I did really enjoy it. Me and my friends were trying to look for something to watch over Halloween and his house popped up on the screen and I remember seeing it in a newspaper article uh, announcing it. It'll come out later this year and I was surprised. Uh, so I did find it a really good film. It was interesting watching with my friends because I was, I don't know, I'm always on edge about when sort of African events are or experiences are presented to people who are not from that area mm. if it makes sense mm. but I was interested to see how they take it because there's some things that I can relate to and sort of understand and empathize with um yeah but all in all found it a really good film yeah I found it I found mm. it really good gosh you know I <laughs> I'm I think I feel like my listeners know I am so afraid of horror which is crazy yeah. considering I can relate yeah Considering this whole um, podcast is about fantasy and mythology and horror, but yeah, watching it is not normally something I do. So the reason why I found it really great was because they really managed to build up that tension without putting too many like jump scares or too mm-hmm. many. They didn't rely on those kind of like typical horror tropes to like evoke fear. It was more about tension. And I I feel like, for me, a great horror film is a scary one that isn't mm. too, like, tacky. So, so the use of tension is quite common in horror, but only some people can do it, like, quite well, you know? Mm. So I found it, like... 
Mm. Really great. And I was going to say, I feel like for me, I'm the same. I I won't go for horror. It was just that <laughs> night it was Halloween and the housemates were like, let's do something. Um, <laughs> they suggested the conjuring. I was like, no, miss me with that. No, um, no. Yeah. I wanted something psychological. So I was like, okay, how about this? It's like not as scary as what I find ghost stories to be. Yeah. Um, it sort of like makes you think. And of course, this film made us think about many different things. It did. And like, speaking of that so the context of the film of course as i mentioned in a summary was about south sudanese refugees mm. and looking at the um the context of what's happening in south sudan now it's um for people who don't know it's a landlocked country in the east central of africa so it, they gained independence from sudan in july 2011 but that celebration was short-lived because in december 2013 there was then um political infighting between um, South Sudan's president who then actually accused his vice president of attempting a coup against him so that caused like fighting between the two factions of government so that political conflict worsened by a drought and economic woes caused like massive displacement where over seven million people which is about two-thirds of the population are in need of aid and around Mm. 6.9 million people are experiencing hunger and are still going through that conflict, raging violence and dire food shortages. So that is the context of where we have the two characters, Bol and Real, they are escaping that warfare, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel it's interesting that, like, as a person who's far removed from a situation like this, you don't really need to at least look into this mm. to feel and understand the emotions of Real and Bol, mm. right? Just literally, they just put different scenes up, such as um, the classic boat scene that we all associate with topical crisis that's going on uh, down in France. We can imagine how like horrible it must be. Mm. So just having that there, which is, I think was really well done by Weeks, just set the scene for us. Do you want to tell us about who Bowl and Rial are? Yeah, sure. So there are protagonists in this story. Uh, a couple we've got. They come from South Sudan, mentioned already. And from what we know, or what is mentioned in the film, Bowl is, uh, was a banker, and obviously has been devastated by the crises that he and uh, Rial have faced. And here they are seeking, well, seeking asylum in the UK, going ahead with what's been put in place for them to assimilate into society. And talking about their new home, that is located in Tilbury, which is a a town in Thurrock, which is in Essex. So Tilbury Mm. is the country's, like the UK's biggest dead-end town, but it actually didn't make it in the top 10 worst places to live. But considering that it is a dead-end town, you can sort of understand the setting that they were in. So yeah, it was very derelict. You know, their house had like rotten food. You know, the mm-hmm. door was coming off its hinges. Even like the neighborhood was quite like unwelcoming. So for them, it must have been like, what is this house? But I did notice that Bol, he was someone mm-hmm. who was more willing to like assimilate to the culture. He seemed so optimistic, didn't he? He did. Like I remember there was a scene when they were having dinner and um, Rial was like, I can taste the metal. 
you know she did not <laughs> like she did not like having like to use cutlery especially because it wasn't even probably good quality whereas he was just like you know what we'll get through it you know um don't speak the language only speak english so there was very much that kind of urgency to try and forget their past and their trauma and try and live in this new place but of course they couldn't forget that because what did they have in their house <laughs> an opeth oh my goodness so what is an opeth to me what is it so i did some digging tried to find out if anyone had written about this Come interesting on. creature and as far as i could tell an opeth is uh, like they've carried over the translation from the language that Bol and Rayal speak, which is Dinka, of the Dinka people, and they're mm-hmm. from South Sudan. And a path literally means witch or witchcraft. And with that, you've got an idea of the gravity of the situation there in their face with a witch at the end of the day, they're sharing a house with a witch. And naturally the audience will be questioning themselves, why, why is this uh, creature terrorising them so? No, literally that. I think um, I was reading briefly as well, and there's a whole um, notion about how a path really take. They basically enforce justice for people who have stolen things. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So that does bring to like uh, the massive twist of the of the movie. And I'm, I'm j- mm-hmm. basically, if you haven't seen the movie by now, watch it. This is going to be a massive spoiler, so disclaimer for the next however long maybe we'll like put another disclaimer when it's done but essentially yes like bold to take someone else's child to yep. help them get on the terrible. bus terrible, <laughs> terrible. oh my goodness There's in so many ways when when the path was with the um was with real in that scene when they were like mm-hmm. you don't have a daughter i was like hmm. what what do you mean? Yeah, no, I, had to, I did have to sit down and watch that scene again. I was like, okay, so what is going on here? Did this actually happen? Um, is this something that she's remembering? But like, it became more clear that the Apeth had like generated this environment of loads of different ladies, perhaps from her past, Maybe, and yeah. re- revealed that, yo, you didn't have a kid. <laughs> you, yeah. there's, there's nothing there. There's a lady that goes to touch her stomach. It's like, mm-mm. Nothing's come, nothing's come out of you nothing's grown in you mm. whose child mm-hmm. is that whose child did you take really sad it is really sad to Gosh. be honest when she comes to realize because what you also come to realize is that she's been through so many traumatic events that she's just wiped it out she's yeah. forgotten and like as an audience we're convinced as well that okay they've definitely lost their kid but at mm. that point of revelation as you said massive twist it isn't what it seems. Gosh, and I think, like you mentioned about her wiping it out, that's definitely something that people who go through trauma, it's mm-hmm. something that the brain does. You know, it tries to mm-hmm. make you like forget that traumatic experience and like something that could be like a little detail like that. Mm-hmm. That could be something that can be easily wiped from the brain, you know? And mm-hmm. gosh, I think as well with the um, apeth as well, I think the worst thing about it was that not only did they steal, but there was no chance for that, for the returning of what was stolen. Mm-hmm. Because the whole point is that when you steal something, there's a possibility of it being returned to the owner. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the fact that the daughter, who was called Nyagag, the fact that she died, 
there was no chance for Nyagak to return back to her mother. So that was why mm. the Apeth was even more like enraged, even more bloodthirsty mm. for justice because you've done something that is essentially irreversible, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. I quite like that about that mythology, to be honest. I did look at it as well. Like when I was looking into Apeth, I saw that it is sort of a philosophy that is quite big with the Dinka people. Yeah. When they're thinking about the Apeth, right, they, they say, that, oh, it eats people. And their idea of eat isn't necessarily cannibalism. It's something that, like, it takes away. When you eat something, yeah. <laughs> once you eat it, it's gone. There's no coming back. Yeah. That's, that is what the Dinka believe uh, is what the Apeth does. And it is something they regard as completely negative in that respect. It's exactly mm. what Bol has done with Niagak, isn't it? Yeah. They stole the kid, but in the moment of which he could have saved it, brought it also to the UK and perhaps had the chance of reuniting it with her mother, which I'll get back to in a sec, mm-hmm. um, is completely shattered when mm. he chooses to go after Rial, understandably pick saving Rial over saving some oh, random kid they picked child, up. Yeah. They had a responsibility, didn't they? Yeah, after that they did. Because he did use that, he, he did use Nyagak for their favor. Like she was just mm-hmm. a pawn in mm. their like being saved, and it's something to. It's so interesting to think about because it's like that's it's selfish. I hope we can admit mm-hmm. and say that as a character, Bold is something that is bad. It's problematic, you know. Completely unforgivable. But I said I'd come back to his mom, her mom, her Nyagak's mom, right? Yeah. If you looked at the part of the film where it is that the mum is chasing the bus, mm. apparently the mum is shot down. Yeah. As as like, as she's chasing the kid. No, she so is. perhaps all thought, okay, we're going to get away with it because there's no one here to actually know that we've taken this kid. There's no mm. one to miss her. I like it when they like show that humanity aren't perfect. You know, he and Rial has gone through such traumatic experiences, but mm. at the time he has had to make so many choices that have you know to some people wasn't perfect like you said first of all the um taking of the child second of all letting the child die Mm. third of all again even in the house the gaslighting that he did you know at first oh that uh, oh gosh i was like am i being am i being affected by this am i I being gaslighted yeah Yeah. like he was like you know oh no you're just seeing things but mm-hmm. but you're seeing them too so mm-hmm. so he's lying here so i thought i thought show, showing two sides to like his character was like super awesome as well and yeah i'm glad like i feel like weeks definitely showed that effectively as well and and also like displayed the apeth effectively as well although it was quite a shame that there wasn't much on the apeth online yeah i think i feel like it's a thing that it's just hard for perhaps western publishers to get the things online or even people from south sudan to get the narrative up uh, in a way that people who don't understand dinka can under can access it's probably that's that true. that's true like i think mm. when it comes to language as well some things just can't be translated into like mm-hmm. you know you have like something that is understandable in the Dinka language, mm-hmm. but then to translate it into English is 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 lost in translation, you know? 
that's so probably that's... why Remy Weeks decided to like stick with the name Apeth because of potential loss in translation and even to get across a much more powerful sort of unknown, right? Because yeah. uh, the audience doesn't know what an Apeth is, so it just makes it that much scarier, right? Exactly, and hopefully it made more people like, go out and research, even though there was literally like, mm-hmm. one source about them, but mm-hmm. it's not yeah. accessible to the public unless you can also pay for it. So you could say it could strike up a conversation with perhaps people who with between people who wouldn't naturally talk about, oh, did you hear about this or did you hear exactly. about that? If it's perceived well, I don't know. If a Sudanese person would be happy like, oh, I saw this in a film, maybe I think they'd be happy. It'd facilitate a sort of dialogue, isn't it? Give them opportunity. No, it definitely will. I, yeah, I had a friend who, you know, as soon as she watched it, she said, make sure you talk about the Apeth in your podcast. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so people do want to hear yeah. more about it, you know. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting reading about it as well. You've like mentioned about the close-ups and medium shots. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about in the editing? Yeah, so I put the I put I started thinking about those uh, because you can clearly see that for how they film it, they have it the cameras close up in the person's face. Yeah. So that the surroundings you can't really see the surrounding environment, and that is a device I feel is used in a lot of thriller slash horror films. Like the audience doesn't know what's going on in the background, and it just mm. builds up that tension, right? Then there's also the medium shots, which you sort of see like part of the person's face but you've got the background <laughs> so you can see what's no, going on behind see, the person i don't know if I'm, that's worse. I'm, already, I'm triggered i'm already triggered just by you saying that because yeah. Yeah. I, I just have i have in my head you know a shot of bowl for example or not even bowl mm-hmm. and then it's the medium shot where the peach goes down the corridor oh yeah. and i just yeah. said no 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 Mm-hmm. And the camera follows the peach, and you're like, uh, no, 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 I need to see where the peach came from. <laughs> I'm like, no, like, oh gosh, I loved it. I loved it so much. Like, it's it's the little things like that. Like you said, it is typical, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it does add to that tension. Mm-hmm. I feel you said that the scene that came to your mind was when the peach rolls. For me, it was when Bowl was looking into the crack in the wall at night <laughs> which is a terrible time to be sharing a house with a night witch and you just see someone move in the background and with like these medium shots they're horrible in the fact that you're not sure if you saw something especially if they're moving like really quickly oh my gosh Cheryl. and that's that's a horrible thing for me because i'll be walking around my own house <laughs> like did i see something am i dying today <laughs> no like i definitely i watched it with someone but funnily enough the next day i was um in my own room and the wind was blowing and the blinds were down and it looked like there was some, mm-hmm. something behind the blinds. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, no <laughs> way. I said, uh-huh. like, the day later, it was still affecting me. So I, that's how you know this is a good film. That's how Roman Weeks know he's been successful by I messing know. with our psyche. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So something I noticed that also elevated the tension in the film was the use of sound and the music. So when the sound was used it was also able to build so much tension because the whole point of the film was that there was something trapped in the walls of the house so Hmm. hear things like thudding and you'd hear things like you know in the ceiling 
the sound of the like footsteps that crash in the walls and even the sound of a um, bowl smashing the hammer against the walls telling him to get out get out mm-hmm. that I think that sound sort of just like elevated that tension as well because it was just a stark contrast to how it was normally like normally mm. it'd be like quite quiet in the house the house and then the film itself is literally no music and it was as if it wanted to draw attention to the silence that was just everywhere in where they lived that silence like like you like you just said it when there was noise it was heightened because there was mm. a lack of soundtrack that lack of music before so i feel like that was a really good that was a good way of highlighting tension so in terms of costume design so i definitely found it quite dreary like the clothes that we're wearing in like the essex location but what did you think about the costume design overall yeah i think i agree with you 100 percent. like it just the people that we saw just like quite simple um in contrast to what I guess what Bolt and Rihanna just used to, Africa, of course, bright colours everywhere. I've just come mm-hmm. to this and it's just like, okay, so this is not how we pictured the UK. Mm-hmm. But I think they managed to use clothing quite effectively to convey various messages. For example, um, earlier on in the film, I haven't mentioned this, but earlier on in the film, there's a scene where Bolt ends up destroying all their clothing, right? Yeah. Then goes, <laughs> waltzes into a department store, whose scene is actually quite interesting. Waltzes into the department store and decides to go and pick up some clothes. And he turns around and he looks at this like advert or picture displaying the clothes on the wall. And he looks at this family who are white, but also relate to the general people who live here. And he's like, okay, maybe I can achieve this for myself. And in a way, it's like quite sad because at this point you don't actually know that they've lost their daughter and it's a fam- a happy family who've got kids and they're smiling and everything and he looks at the clothes and he's like okay right so me and Rial perhaps we can make something out of this that was interesting in that respect but I think there was another <laughs> interesting uh, mm. sort of covert uh, situation also being played I don't know if you noticed but as Bol into the department store there was a security guard <laughs> uh, and he noticed that Paul had walked in right and he follows Paul around now of course obviously we know the connotations of this mm-hmm. but the way that Remy Weeks like chose to do this the security guard is kept out of focus he's really blurry you don't really see it unless you actually focus on his movements in the background mm. and I think that was quite smart. I even forgot about that scene in the shop I remember that like it was like, it was kind of like an American dream family, you know, like white mm-hmm. picket family, they were all smiling, kind of like, yeah. kind of same clothes. And he was looking at that, like, he thought he could achieve that just through fashion and through mm-hmm. assimilation. So that was yet again, another example of his desire to assimilate, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny because Rial calls him out for that. He's like, so you think you can dress like them and everything will be fine? No, exactly. Sir. <laughs> they won't accept you and that's the sad truth. Uh, for a lot of people no it is and um, like yeah even moving on with the cinematography like there was a scene um that was showing Rial you know looking for a GP or a pharmacy and she was going mm-hmm. through like the endless council houses with like the endless alleyways it's an inspiration from the scene where Jack in The Shining is going through the hedge maze trying to kill mm-hmm. his family so um mm-hmm. 
they they used that sequence as well with Rial looking for the GP. And I thought that was cool as well because she was going through the endless maze. And again, there was that repeating motif of that young boy playing with the ball. Mm-hmm. So that would you I think- funny you said like the shining as well because it brought to my mind uh the twins and the yeah. shining if I bought the right film. Yeah. yeah I was like, is. are they twins? Are they just messing with her? But I think that was an interesting device to use to convey like how easy it is to get lost in a typical British uh, setting because confusing to navigate but that's sort of a metaphor can't you say for asylum seekers arriving in the UK as well Mm. so they are picked up from wherever they may have landed um, if they took the boat route uh, then taken to a detention centre and held by authorities Mm. and then maybe a couple of weeks or months later carted to someone unknown somewhere unknown and just completely lost and it's like they've been sold an idea of the UK with countryside looking beautiful as beautiful beach nice London London as well yeah um bustling cities and then being dumped in this sorry to residents of Tilbury this dump of Tilbury so yeah um, just of the 3,000 UK natives that were like surveyed, 27% of them were saying like they didn't really have any sympathy for asylum seekers. 23% of them were saying they don't have much a sympathy for those who are like making those horrible crossings across the waters that we see. And I think that's sadly understandable because they don't really understand what people have gone through, perhaps. Mm. They just see it as people coming in and like not dealing with I don't know perhaps yeah, not dealing with their problems yeah they that. just see it as like you know people are coming to take their resources and mm-hmm. this was like the survey that was done like August 11th 2020 so that was yeah that was done like you know after there were like a, a supposedly a surge of like um refugees traveling by oh, yeah, those like hundreds of people crossing over in yeah, the summer over yeah the summer and like like people died as well which is so sad and like you know another poll mm-hmm by YouGov was done that um, found that half of the British adults felt like the UK doesn't even have the responsibility to protect migrants mm-hmm. that are coming mm-hmm. to France. You know, um, 46% of Britons that was also done by a YouGov survey um, believed that the UK has done more than our fair share to accommodate refugees, which is very surprising mm-hmm. because an EU data report shows that in 2019, the UK only received 44,800 applications. Whereas and you compare that to like Germany or something like that, it was like what? Germany had 165,000 applications. Yeah. It's like the comparison mm-hmm. where the UK feels like we have so many, but then Germany has mm-hmm. over like almost 200,000. France has mm-hmm. 128,000. So the UK with their 44,000, they still feel like mm-hmm. them more than enough. So that was... That is the reality of where we are today, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Weeks was able to sh- effectively show that through the film. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he put, like, faces to names because... Well, faces to figures, sorry. Yeah. Because there's a really poignant scene at the end where it's just silent again and you just see all of the individuals that were on the ship, the, the boat with Bol and Miao. And yeah. 
it was stark like it, it was really sad you could see kids you could see parents and old people it was really sad but i think that was important to put there just to give as i said faces to faces to all these statistics that the news likes to put across our screens exactly because what happens is when you see all these statistics it kind of like desensitizes you you know mm-hmm. like Definitely. a hundred people died and like no this isn't just a couple of hundred people these are like people who are like families who had their own lives and you know mm-hmm. like like you just mentioned like weeks like weeks was able to like portray that in order to like humanize them you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so a little bit of social commentary for you for the listeners mm-hmm. and like for those who are watching <laughs> it and i think that's valid like um it's happening quite a bit recently with them um, black creatives with their horror that they are including social commentary you know um it's been done with get out it's been done with us um by jordan peele it's been done mm. with um, Candyman by naya da costa you know in the remake so it's something that has definitely been like seeped into our creativity social commentary and do you think that's something that is going to be happening for a while now in terms of horror or like are you like being hopeful that maybe one day we'll have horror that's just just scary mm. <laughs> just scary for no reason you know i think it's it's in modern day because all the films you've mentioned if i'm not wrong they're all quite recent aren't they yeah and i feel like it's just another way of portraying the narrative as as opposed to like reading it in a textbook and seeing okay this is this has happened this is what happened in the past or Mm. seeing it in the news oh okay another number has happened or uh for example get out putting a person a point of view that perhaps other people wouldn't have considered Mm. i think i'd like to see um a bit more where people could take this Okay. Yeah. They've they've done this this uh, aspect. I'd like to see what else they try and incorporate into sort of thrillers and horrors. Yeah. Yeah, and I think like you know I was mentioning American films. I think it's really great mm-hmm. that British media is kind of like, mm-hmm. putting their head through the door of like in terms of like making good horror films. Because we do have horror films that are British as well, but like mm. to have this um Nigerian British guy. Mm. Um, and I think it was also like produced by Film Four, Channel Four. I believe I saw them. I'll have to check that. Good old Channel Four. You know, yeah. good old Channel Four never lets us down. Um, yeah. So it was quite interesting seeing that from like a British perspective, which is why I wanted to make this episode because it was very last minute. But I wanted to talk about a British horror film because I've already talked about Nollywood and Nollywood, the movie yeah. industry in Nigeria. Mm. And it, the second mm-hmm. highest in the world after Bollywood um, and before Hollywood because they are able to bring out movies like every day like mm-hmm. they have no limit and I feel like with horror in Nigeria it's not limited to like social commentary if that makes sense mm-hmm. you know they can write about anything they want because they have that creative freedom mm-hmm. whereas I think over here what are the films that are being greenlighted that are made by black creatives I think it is like can we add a social commentary in here which is valid like you mentioned but I think from my point of view I'm looking for something different in terms of like 
sometimes I just want to see a basic haunted house similar mm-hmm. to his house, but mm. without that commentary, without trauma. I think I want mm. more films from us that don't incorporate real life current trauma because the South Sudan war spamming mm. is still ongoing and it can be triggering for some people, you know. This was an amazing film though, so I mm-hmm. definitely like mm-hmm. do recommend it to anyone mm. you know, likes that slow, sinister build, very similar to the Babadook as well, um, in terms of like using a spirit to highlight how grief and trauma can be like physically manifested as like mm-hmm. a spirit disturbing you, such as the Apeth, you know. So I definitely do mm-hmm. recommend this film. As a final thing for you, was there anything that stood out for you in particular about the film? Um, there was a thing that, like, at the end of the film, I sat there, I was just, like, watching the credits, and I was like, okay, why is it called His House? And mm. I thought I'd go away, look it up, and then also come up with my own, like, sort of conclusions. His House. It's a house that they've gone into, and it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the Apeth. It terrorises them. It doesn't allow them to live in it. As a result, doesn't belong to them. It's his house. Then there's a phrase that's repeated a lot in the film by the sort of social workers and accommodation staff that are trying mm. to house um, Bol and Rial, and they say, "His house is bigger than mine," or "Your house is bigger than mine." Mm. Perhaps with the that's going with the idea that a lot of people here think that. Uh, asylum seekers slash refugees come in and they end up being treated extremely well even better than those in lower socioeconomic back from low so wow from lower socioeconomic backgrounds yeah Yeah. Um, i think that was interesting because it was repeated maybe three or four times it definitely was i oh god (laughs) i definitely noticed that and it's crazy because i was watching a video um that talks about like the context and the reality of asylum seekers and they're given like what between 35 and 50 pound a week to survive that on that was ridiculous <laughs> that's what we were asking so how do you survive on that sorry go on how are you gonna be surviving you can't survive on that in this country mm-hmm. so the idea that yes they're, they're, they're coming here and this is in quotation marks to scrounge off the society of taxpayers mm-hmm. well not necessarily true and I feel like that that that's something I should probably have mentioned much earlier on uh Matt Smith's character Mark who houses them he does say oh you guys are actually lucky because normally this house would be full of four or five other people you'd normally Mm -hmm. be sharing I don't know if you remember that yeah Yeah. so even that reality is like okay wow this is quite sad to be cramped in the space they're not really allowed to leave and they'll be sharing with four other people who have gone through some sort of traumatic past exactly um and that sort of leads me on to the last sort of interpretation of the title his house his naturally refers to the masculine pronoun bold tries his best to be the man of the house he yeah. tries to deal with the, pos- the problem immediately he pretends that they don't actually have problems as in regards to their mental health they're not being haunted by um this horrible um, Apeth that's chasing them through the mm. house he does his best to hide that sort of emotion and even at the start before we know that 
the daughter isn't theirs. It's as if he's trying to hide. He prevents Bot, um, Rial from bringing it up that no, we didn't have a daughter. Don't talk about it. It didn't happen. Let's yeah. forget about it. Yeah, it's it's very like, yeah. like male centric. Like they tried to like incorporate like like how you know he's technically the like the man of the house. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And he also like I think you've mentioned it, but like jumping off your point, like he does like men- he just shouts like you know this is my house. You know, yeah, like, yeah. He's very much like he's very like insistent to the mm-hmm. point where he's even like trying to defy a demon. <laughs> yeah. Or a night witch to say trying no, to assert his dominance over something over, over <laughs> something that can kill him and tries <laughs> to kill him by shouting, mm-hmm. This is my house. And mm-hmm. oh yeah. It just it just shows you even in that time of like just desperation and like complete like anguish, he still has the energy to try and assert his dominance over something that's mm-hmm. very much overpowering him out of his yeah out of his powers at least mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah thank you so much Temi thank you for coming no, it's all right. I really appreciate um I really appreciate you coming on to the podcast you know like I always love to like no, thank you <laughs> thank you for having me oh, <laughs> no it's okay like honestly I hope honestly I hope that um I'm able to have you again on the podcast that would be brilliant yeah and I hope everyone listening as well like appreciated hearing from you as well and as well as I did. And yeah, thank you again. <laughs> so thank you for tuning into this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it as just as much as I did recording. It was really fun recording with Temi because there were quite a few technical mishaps, but we got it in the end and you know, having someone else on the episode and another perspective, another point of view, brings that je ne sais quoi to it. So I always love having guests. So if you'd like to be a guest on the episode, please email me at bythefire.mail at gmail.com. Be sure to also follow on my social media, bythefire underscore pod, where I post proverbs. And the recent proverb I posted is actually from the Dinka tribe. And it is, what is in a man is like what is in the rivers and the wood. What does that mean? Let me know. Let me know. So yeah, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Before I finish, I want to say a huge thank you to people who've been like really engaging in the podcast recently. And yeah, I really, I actually do appreciate every one of you because it's nice. It's validating to know that people are enjoying the work I put into this podcast. And you know, that validation feeds me to do more and to do better you know so I do I do this for my enjoyment but I also do it because I hope people are learning from this and I I see that I really do so please continue to share please continue to rate and comment on Apple Podcasts if you haven't done so or follow on Spotify you can also like it and follow me on SoundCloud as well use the hashtag BTFpod so we can continue the conversation online and I look forward to you joining me for the next episode Bye. Bye.